The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and I welcome you to our program on Alzheimer's disease and the dementias. Over the past few weeks, we have been discussing uh, providing care for persons with Alzheimer's disease and the dementias, and today we are going to look at a different aspect of this, services that enable a family to continue care in the home rather than having a loved one placed in a nursing home or exercise some other long-term care option. Uh, you will recall that in our second episode, we talked with Howard Gretzner about the nature of caregiving, the stress that the caregiver experiences, um, the burden, and how to manage some of those things. And we also talked at that time about a couple of statistics, 17.5 billion hours of unpaid, unpaid care for persons with dementia, valued at $216 billion each year. Now I want to give you a little bit more background statistics on caregiving. 60% of caregivers are employed either part-time or full-time. 65% have had to go in late, leave early, or take time off to meet their caregiver responsibilities. 20% have had to take a leave of absence. 13% changed from full-time to part-time employment. 11% had to give up work completely. 10% had to turn down a promotion. 9% lost their job benefits. And 9% saw their work performance suffer. So in one more way, you can see that we are on the brink of Alzheimer's disease. This is a disease you want to know about. And I hope that this program helps you to learn more about it. And we are very fortunate to have as our guest today, Daryl Reed. Daryl is a certified senior advisor, and um, Daryl has a 16-year history of volunteering for the Alzheimer Association through local and regional board membership, fundraising activities, educational programs, facilitating support groups, and things like this. He is also the owner and administrator of Homestead Senior Care, the franchise uh, here in Abilene, for over 15 years. He oversees the delivery of private pay home care services that allow seniors, including those with Alzheimer's, to remain in their homes. Uh, he has an award-winning franchise here, and he is also a member of the Home Instead Senior Care Franchise Council and represents the Western Region Franchise 
uh, team in an advisor capacity with uh, the corporate management team. He is the founding chairperson and current board member of the Home Care Association of America, Texas chapter, formerly called the National Private Duty Association. And he is also a past chairperson of the Aging Cluster. Daryl, welcome to the program. Hi. How are you doing, Dr. Bruce? I, I am good, and I'm so grateful to you for taking time out from uh, your evening scheduled activities so that you can visit with us about this area of care that goes under the heading of non-Medicare home health or private pay home care or uh, different terms like that. But let's first talk about you. You yeah. are a graduate of Abilene Christian University. Yeah, I graduated there in 1987, uh, believe it or not, with a business degree. That served you well, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. And um, you have been involved in senior care activities in a number of different capacities for many years. What drew you to the area of senior care? Well, you know, I think we've all had family experiences. Almost everybody I know and come across has dealt with family members with, with, uh, with issues and needing caregivers at home. And I, I was, I was no different. I, uh, my grandmother had caregivers taking care of her in her home and growing up with that, seeing that, being a part of it, watching my mom be a primary caregiver and, and staying with her mom. Uh, I just grew up seeing that and being a part of it. My wife, her her grandparents needed caregivers to stay at home toward the end of their life. So, uh, watching that, being a part of being a part of that, you just really it becomes part of everyday life. And then, kind of by random chance, my wife uh, got involved in a startup uh, of a French of a home instead senior care franchise in New Mexico. And so I kind of became professionally involved with home care industry by, you know, seeing my wife be involved in it. It just kind of grew from there, seeing the natural uh, need by my own family, by watching my wife be a part of it in a, in a, for a job. Uh, it just seemed like a natural fit. And we decided to go in, in this direction to start our own franchise. Well, that's excellent, and I'm so glad that you decided to do that and that you decided to follow your wife's lead there, because I know, Daryl, that you have done a lot of good for a lot of people in the community uh, served by your franchise. I appreciate that about you. Um, I wanted to ask you as well, however, about your involvement with the Alzheimer Association. What you give there is a gift. You know, it's not something that you're doing while you're on the payroll because you um, own the the uh, franchise. And so uh, when you're not contributing income, you are not getting paid, basically. But you have been very committed to the Alzheimer Association. What brought you to that organization? Well, it, it really, uh, it kind of has, it's multifaceted from just uh at one point in time, it was me wanting to be in shape and, and, and walk and run and participate in an event to watching family members with the disease and wanting to do something to, to get involved and make a difference for them. And then, you know, uh, it's a natural fit in this business to, as a way of giving back to the community. If you want to give back, you try to pick and choose ways of doing it that, 
make a difference. And, you know, this had a real personal uh, touch to get back, you know, to give back to the people suffering with Alzheimer's and their families. You know, that's the thing about this disease, uh, Dr. Brinkman, as you know, it's not just affecting those, you know, with the disease that are suffering from it, but it really impacts an entire family, you know, from spouses to children and can be for quite some lengthy time of impacting them. So being watching that, being a part of it, that was an area I wanted to give back to. So uh, I've, I've been doing that, uh, you know, from before I even owned the franchise, before we even started this business, I participated in my first uh, walk to end Alzheimer's at that time called the Memory Walk and did that for health and fitness reasons and, and as a way of kind of giving back to a cause that was important to my family. You know, I don't want to attract um, attention to you from a lot of other nonprofit organizations, but I have been told that you have frequently been the highest fundraising team for the uh, uh, what was called the Memory Walk, now the Walk to End Alzheimer's Disease, right? But you're going to keep doing that for this association and not go to another. Am I correct? Yeah, that's been uh, kind of a, a fun little side benefit is, I guess, uh, the Alzheimer's Association has a uh, a, a trophy for uh, the largest fundraiser for uh, for each event that they raise money for. And I've, I've been able to, to keep that trophy, I think, going on, you know, 10 plus or more years for being the largest fundraiser in, in our chapter, in our local area. And, you know, that's that's not the goal. That's not the objective to get that trophy, but it kind of makes it fun to kind of create some competition amongst others in our community to, to go out and raise money and, and, you know, maybe you get this trophy to show for it, you know, for fun. But yeah. It's, and, and I yeah. will tell you, they are a competitive bunch. <laughs> well, that keeps it fun and interesting too. Well, talk with me a little bit about this organization called Home Instead. When and how did it develop? Well, it, in 1994, I believe, is when uh, it got started as a corporate franchise system concept. Um, it was a gentleman that lived in Nebraska named Paul Hogan who uh, started what his, his, his grandmother needed help. And he had been in a franchise uh, system in an executive position uh, in a maid service type of uh, in industry. But, you know, when he saw the need for his own family, his, his grandmother trying to get help for, for that, for her, he decided to start his own little local business doing senior care, providing caregivers to help his grandmother stay at home. With his background and knowledge in franchising, he turned it into uh, the world's uh, first and, and, and by far largest franchise system providing in-home care. And it's based out of Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and each, you know, there's a thousand plus offices worldwide at this point, And they're all independently owned by people that live in their community, like me and my wife, who are, you know, integrally involved in the community and giving back and, you know, uh, so that's that's where it started as somebody taking trying to take care of their grandmother. 
Well, Daryl, just briefly, uh, we'll expand on this more after we take a break, but just briefly before the break, would you discuss a little bit about how you see Homestead fitting into the overall scheme of dementia care? What's the niche? Well, I think that as dementia is growing in a number of diagnoses and more and more people living longer and aging uh, more independently at home, you know, the need for in-home care is growing substantially. Uh, you know, as people are living longer, uh, there's more diagnosis of dementia. I understand, and I think you probably have a better handle on this than I do as far as statistics, but over half of, uh, of seniors over the age of 85 are diagnosed with dementia of some form or fashion. So if that's correct and true from what I've heard, the more people are aging better and living longer, the more and more people are going to be getting diagnosed with dementia. People really want to stay at home and age successfully in their own environment. And our niche is to help them do that. It wasn't necessarily designed initially as Alzheimer's care, but uh, it is kind of becoming a niche business within senior care because more and more people are getting it. And we're having to uh, train differently and hire differently to meet that that changing older demographic with dementia. And, Daryl, you are uh, accurate with your statistics. You know, at the age of 65, about 2% of individuals um, are uh, going to be diagnosed with dementia. At 75 years of age, that risk goes up to 15%. And at 85 years of age, that risk does go up to about 45%. So it's not so much that people are living longer, as you said, but it's that more people are living into the age of increased risk for developing dementia. And obviously, um, that is going to require a a very strong commitment of services. We're going to go to a break, and uh, we will return shortly with Daryl Reed. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matter System provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. 
Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. We are talking with Daryl Reed, and he is uh, sharing his wisdom and experience with a um, an in-home care organization called Home Instead. And just before the break, Daryl gave us uh, his sense of how an organization like Home Instead fits into the overall uh, scheme of dementia care. Daryl, what I would like to ask you now is this. What do home instead people do in the home? Well, we have what we call caregivers. Many times people think uh, and identify caregivers as a family member, you know, can be a a spouse, a son or a daughter, um, a neighbor, who is providing care to those that need care. so caregiving is done, you know, on a personal level every day. And that's traditionally how this service, you know, was delivered to people in the generations past is from, you know, neighbors, from friends and family to church members. Um, so our uh, service model, if you want to call it such, is providing professional caregiving to those that need, that need assistance. So... We are providing what we call caregivers to assist our clients. We don't call them patients. We, just, we call them clients uh, to provide assistance to them to help them stay in their home and stay independent. Although we are providing assistance to a lot of our clients uh, in their homes, many times people live in an assisted living center and still need some daily assistance. They can live in... Uh, a skilled nursing home, a skilled nursing unit, and still want the extra companionship of a caregiver. Many times we're in a hospital setting. Uh, sometimes people refer to this as sitting. So we try to change that term. This is a, we aren't providing sitters and sitting with people. You know, we we provide caregivers, you know, providing a professional service you know, to, to help them with their daily activities. So those daily activities really can vary depending on the setting. 
and that they live in and their particular needs. Somebody with dementia has a far different set of needs than somebody that's recovering from a hip replacement. You know, there can be both physical and emotional uh, types of needs that we're trying to, to meet. And so, you know, many times, you know, helping out with activities of daily living can be a few hours a day, two or three times a week. Helping run errands, helping pick up their groceries, helping tidy up the home, clean up the bathroom. Um, it can be that we're there every night. Maybe somebody is a fall risk at night and they get up and they've had some falls and we're trying to help be a preventative type of support, fall prevention. And we're there to help them go, you know, get up and go to the restroom and provide some stability and an arm, keep them from falling. So it can be seven nights a week, 10 or 12 hours a night. We have some clients that need us and want us 24 hours a day, morning, noon, and night, providing a you know different range of activities. So what we do is really developed up front in a you know a care consultation where we develop a plan of care, and that plan of care will obviously be different depending on the needs. Um, it can be you know a, a respite break for the spouse. It could just be that the spouse is the primary caregiver of somebody with Alzheimer's or dementia. Maybe that primary caregiver spouse needs to go get her hair done once a week and is afraid to leave her husband home alone. So we may be brought in for just a few hours to allow that spouse to get out and run errands and go get her hair done. That's respite care. So, uh, you know, many of the things that we're doing, Dr. Brinkman, can, you know, we call activities of daily living, which can be uh, things like uh, helping with a bath, helping get up or down out of a chair or a bed, transferring, can be uh, getting dressed. Sometimes it's hard to button buttons and put on socks or stockings. Um, it can be eating. Some people... With Parkinson's, for example, may have a hard time holding a fork and, and eating. Or some people just may need help standing and cooking. They can't stand that long to cook and, uh, a meal and clean up the kitchen. So, you know, eating and, and uh, cooking meals, getting dressed, to helping with toileting needs and bathing needs, um, you know, to keeping a house clean or, some, you, know, uh, you know, we're not a maid service by any means, but keeping a tidy house you know, cleaning up the bathrooms and the kitchen area and laundry is an essential need that, you know, people need to keep up. Um, running errands and going to the grocery store are, are things. Once so many, the, some of the things. So the job, the job description, the job description basically says all other duties as assigned, right? All other duties as assigned. Feeding the cat and the dog and watering the plants and, you know. Yeah, the list is, it goes on and on. But those are the essential activities of daily living. 
Right. You know, there are um, certain predictable reasons that people are not able to remain in their homes any longer. And we've talked about some of those reasons in the past. But the way that the better that those reasons are managed, uh, the, the longer period of time a person will be able to live in his or her own home. And that is a tremendous contribution uh, to both the person that's experiencing dementia and the family. You know, I've got to mention a a recent uh, patient that I saw um, who has a lot of cognitive deficit but is otherwise very healthy. Because of the cognitive deficit, the difficulties in judgment and things like that, he requires just ongoing close supervision from his wife. She had always kept a neat house, and um, when she, when I finally convinced her that it would be helpful to have someone come in and uh, either enable her to do her house cleaning or do the house cleaning on her behalf, the first week that she came back after that, her stress load uh, was markedly reduced. She again felt that she was uh, providing a home that was attractive to her husband and good for her husband and things like that. Oh, yeah, you know, the, the, your own life and keep up your own routines plus that of of your of the of your loved one you can yeah really adds on to the stress level and the respite component cannot be understated as well or cannot be overstated rather uh, because you know when someone is caring for a person who needs that much supervision because of cognitive changes and uh, uh, difficulties with judgment and impulse control even when they're not in the presence of their loved one with dementia that loved one is the primary thing on his or her mind and getting a break from that on a regular basis certainly enables the family caregiver to to uh, serve in that role for a much longer period of time. That's exactly right, and we see that every day. We're you know, just a few hours away and, and having coffee with your friends or going to your ladies' Bible class, you know, can, can make a world of difference. It seems like you've been away for a day or a week just from just getting away for a few hours. That's right. Now, Daryl, let me ask you this. We're talking about having someone come into the sanctity of someone's home, this person's castle, and do things uh, for that person or the persons living there. It takes a special kind of person to come in and do that kind of thing, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. This, it's it's really a special person that is needed that you know, and many of the ones that do this successfully aren't really doing it for the money or, you know, as a as a career as much as even though it, it is a career and is for money, but it's people that want to make a difference. They, they have a need to be wanted and needed. They want to give back. Those are the people that are successful employees to come into the home and, and make someone comfortable and at ease because it's not easy to accept someone in your house to do things for you that you've always done yourself. And so you got to find someone that's doing it for the right reasons, not just for a job. And it um, requires very subtle, uh, high-level judgment on the part of that professional caregiver to know when to step up, when to hold back, you know, 
um, things like that. So I have the greatest respect for the people that are willing to do that. Daryl, how old are these caregivers? Well, we have a, a variety of ages. I mean, uh, our average is, I think, 50 plus, 54, 55. Uh, we have many that are, uh, you know, approaching um, 80, uh, you know, have a couple in their early 80s that are still active, involved, and, you know, we have some of their dude. They can't do all of our assignments and jobs, but for the right assignment, they're the perfect fit. They're like a spouse or a sibling that can step right in and make a difference. But we have some that are like granddaughter age. So um, most of our caregivers tend to be, you know, predominantly female and uh, middle-aged and older, but yet many successful caregivers in their, you know, 20s and 30s. Um, but, you know, to be accepted by the client, it takes uh, a right combination of age, experience, and some clients identify with someone that would be their granddaughter versus somebody that would be their own age. So we have a, a variety of, of people, and, and they can all be successful if they have the right heart and the right you know, reason that they're, they're doing it. Well, we are going to go to break, and when we come back, Daryl, I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about uh, how you match what your client needs to what the individual caregiver has to offer. So stay with us. We're talking to Daryl Reed from Home Instead. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matter System provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters. 
the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to NeuroMatters. And we are back. Thank you for staying with us. We are talking with Daryl Reed, who is with Home Instead, and he has been giving us a great deal of information on services that can be provided in the home that enable people to live as long as possible and as joyfully as possible in the home that they love. So, Daryl, welcome back with us. Before the break, we were talking about matching, um, finding some match between the professional caregiver and the client that they will be serving. Could you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yes, I'd love to. Uh, matching is probably you know one of the more critical aspects of being able to, to meet the needs of a family, uh, finding the right caregiver that the client responds to is absolutely critical. And, um, you know, we try to go in and do an assessment of, of, uh, as professionals of the client, their family, learn about their background and experiences. And that gives us a little bit better tools to, to make a match, knowing our employees and their preferences and backgrounds and, and skill sets allows us to try to make a good match as if you get along and, and like the person that is helping you, you tend to respond better and, and, and do better and get better results. So I think matching has to do a lot with capturing, you know, the client's life journey. And we have a, um, We've done some extensive research and development within our Home Instead network, um, developing some training very specifically designed for Alzheimer's and dealing with, with challenging behaviors in, with Alzheimer's. Being that it's a growing segment of our business, you know, the, the franchise system really invested into you know, researching how to make these matches to be successful. And one of the tools is you know, really getting into the client's background in their life, what they've done in the past, who their family members are, what their, uh, you know, favorite recipes were and are to where their children live, really getting into specifics. We, we try to capture that in a, in a journal that we keep in the home that is a tool for caregivers to Used to help manage behaviors of uh, of our clients that have dementia. If you're able to bring up familiar um, subjects and topics and talk about things that you knew were their likes or dislikes, or hopefully you avoid the dislikes, uh, then that can help you know a caregiver enable them to to connect with that client better. Um, so Daryl, would you do would you do something for me right now? Yeah. Would you write would you write down four things, okay? Farming and ranching, fly fishing, Harley Davidson motorcycles, and guitar playing. And put that in a file with my name on it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, that and way if, <laughs> if you need help, we'll be one step one step ahead. 
Yeah. All right. Um, so yeah, that uh, you know, knowing that background is very useful in helping us place and match a caregiver. A lot of times, it has to do with um, you know, like we talked about, age can can be an influence uh, on whether a caregiver is successful, where they're from. Um, you know, obviously, we have laws to prevent you know discrimination of of di- different sorts, and we have to honor and manage, you know, that. But uh, it, it's important to make the right match and to know your clients well and know your employees well. And, and then it's not over once you've made the match. It takes an ongoing level of interaction and support to, to continue to, you know, keep both sides happy and, you know, uh, interested in, each other and continuing a relationship. So this isn't about duties and tasks, what we're doing and managing. It's about managing relationships. And so that's, uh, that's really what it's all about is making a match that will help foster a positive relationship. And, and with Alzheimer's and dementia, trying to, to manage those difficult behaviors. And the more you, you can positive spin and positive influence into their daily life, the more you avoid difficult behaviors and agitation and frustration, which, you know, usually builds during the day of somebody with Alzheimer's. Well, I like your term of um, understanding the client's life journey because basically the professional caretaker is coming into their life and joining them in that journey. It's not that they had a journey up to that point and the journey stops, but the journey will continue just with some other things thrown into it. Yeah, and there's a great website called helpforalzheimersfamilies.com that is, you know, is a valuable, you know, resource for information and support for those caring with, you know, those with Alzheimer's disease. It's helpforalzheimersfamilies.com. And um, there's another one that almost equally is, is valuable uh, called caregiverstress.com. Just caregiverstress.com. Both of those are designed not for the person with the disease, but for those supporting and caregiving for those with Alzheimer's disease. So the more educated you are in, you know, helping take care of yourself, what to expect and managing difficult behaviors, you know, the better you'll be as, as a family caregiver. And I think, you know, hopefully you'll make a more, um, you know, contented life for those suffering with the disease. So, well, thank you. Thank you for giving us those resources. Talk with me about how, professional caregivers are received by either an individual with uh, one or another form of dementia or by family members of that individual. What have been the experiences of your caregivers there? I don't need anybody. Why is that person, why is that person here? I'm fine. I don't need anybody to help me. That is the typical, you know, uh, in general, um, you know, it's it's usually kind of services are usually set up by a family member. Um, you know, whether it's dementia related or not, you know, there's it's not always something that somebody just says, "I think I need and want more help." 
in the home to stay home. It's right. usually a family member that is stressed, that is doing it, that's helping, that's worried, and that is helping set up and, and make the arrangements to get some help in the home. So more times than not, um, you know, it's it's not a, an environment, you know, that they're at first and initially welcoming, welcoming the caregiver, the professional caregiver. It's, I'm fine, I don't need this. And, however, you know, usually once we have broken ground and, you know, been in the home for a few, you know, days, weeks, you know, or sometimes months, it, it the relationship blossoms. And then they don't know how they got by without the help. But you know, Daryl, uh, I suspect that uh, at times caregivers will consider it their personal failure that they have to ha- have professional help to do what they feel that they ought to be able to do on their own. Exactly. You know, there's a, you know, a, a stubborn self-will that says, I can do this. I've always been able to do it, and I can continue to do it. And as you and I both have seen, that leads some people to their grave earlier than they should been, than, than need be. That, that, that desire and that, will, that stubbornness to just keep doing it yourself push people over the edge Um, you know any time that there are major decisions to be made with respect to the the care meeting the needs of someone with Alzheimer's disease or another form of dementia it is always very important um, it to include that individual who has the cognitive deficits in the discussions and the planning and things like that. And um, I would hope that that would make a transition easier. For example, a transition to having someone begin to come in the home to do things. And as I've told numerous family members, I mean, there's not a, a one recipe for all. Um, many times, you know, bringing in that person to to help them think through the, the plan and the needs and the care is, is, is helpful. And then many times that's, that's the roadblock that would stop it at the same time. So I think, you know, there's not a, it, it really varies. It seems like, you know, sometimes we have to get started by sending in a caregiver because we're somebody from the church that's coming by to, uh, with a, a church program for the ladies' class doing visitation. We call it what we need to sometimes to get your foot in the door. We may be uh, a free housekeeping service that has been offered to anybody who needs it. Um, and so that lets somebody in the door. Once they're in the door, it grows them. So uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the term uh, therapeutic fibbing. Yes, I am. Yeah. Uh, yeah that, that is sometimes how we have to get started with some people with dementia or Alzheimer's. Well, they'll just throw up a, a, a roadblock and an obstacle that you can't get over. I mean, do you, do you see that much or do you understand, does your audience understand that concept? I think so, you know, and I think you're making a very good point there. And um, I think that the um, the point that I would add to that would have to do with things that uh, the person with dementia might experience, such as visual confusion. You know, when 
deficits progress in the area of visual perception, not seeing something, but understanding what it is that's being seen. And you look at the complexity of even a home environment that's familiar to them. Very often that person will become very, very focused on the spouse. And as long as they can see the spouse, be sure of the spouse's presence, the fear level is down. But if that spouse is not present, even if someone else is present, that fear level may escalate upward. And so that can become quite a challenge here. Well, we are going to go to a break and uh, we will return in just a couple of minutes with Daryl Reed. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Caring for someone with autism can be full of challenges and triumphs. Wherever you are on your autism journey, we all benefit from good information and guidance. Join host Rob Haupt every week for a friendly show that will leave you inspired and informed. Tune in to Autism Spectrum Radio. Our guests include parents, advocates, and experts to discuss current experiences, treatments, and breakthroughs for those living with autism. Listen every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Welcome back to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. I am Dr. Sam Brinkman, your host, and we are talking with Daryl Reed from Home Instead. Daryl, during our break, you mentioned crisis management versus preventative strategies, and I would appreciate your expanding on that a little bit. What are the types of crises that come up in which people will say, we need help right now? Well, that... Uh that again kind of depends on, you know, various situations, but you know, when we're talking about Alzheimer's and dementia, uh, I think, you know, there's, you know, many times a 
precipitating event that just made it very loud and clear that help is needed right now. And, you know, those, those can be just that, that day that dad got lost on the way back from the grocery store. And um, suddenly the light bulb turns on with a family that says, wow, he, we can't, he can't get by or, you know, we're afraid of him getting lost or wandering. So maybe um, from that to, you know, there's other situations where someone has fallen and they do go into the hospital and, and, and break a hip and uh, are rehabbing. Or, or, or maybe break the hip before they go into the hospital. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it goes both ways sometimes. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, but sometimes if we had been in place, you know, prior and the recognition of the need or, you know, the issue had been done in advance, we could many times prevent things from happening. Maybe Dad wouldn't have gotten lost, or maybe he wouldn't have wandered out of the facility and, and you know, Lord knows what happens from there. But Or maybe Mom wouldn't have fallen had she been able to manage her routines better leading up to that day of the fall. Um, so... You know, it's it's many times it's 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 kind of after the fact that something has happened, and before they get before people ask for the help, we suggest, yeah. and in our industry, we recommend you know get it before, make it a, a routine, preventative step to age better and longer in place with a healthier lifestyle. Don't wait until it's at the end of the rope and it's one step away from, you know, hospice care or hospital or nursing home. You know, I have long been an advocate of early identification of symptoms that may be suggestive of a dementia of um, either reversible, as we discussed in our very first program, or irreversible, such as Alzheimer's disease or vascular dementia. And among the advantages of that early recognition is that um, the crisis can be prevented. We know that cognitive change puts a person at risk for many, many, many different types of traumatic events or crisis situations. You mentioned driving, and it is not uncommon at all for some type of driving error, getting lost, um, and some people can get very lost, or being in a car accident in which um, you know reactions were too slow or perceptions were too inaccurate, or um, some uh, risky driving maneuvers. You know, it's not uncommon that driving is the first thing that brings someone to the attention of the healthcare system to work up and evaluate, diagnose, and treat some kind of a dementing disorder. But um, my recommendation has always been that attention be given to that possibility as the risk increases with regular standardized um, uh, assessments uh, in uh, in and under the supervision of a skilled healthcare provider so that um, planning can be made. When someone is diagnosed early, these 
kinds of issues, financial issues, nutritional issues, uh, keeping medication straight so that the person is not missing doses or doubling up on doses, addressing issues of driving, not necessarily saying they can't drive anymore, but but driving only under uh, certain conditions and things like that. All of these can be discussed at that point and would hopefully prevent the development of a crisis. And it's not only just preventing the crisis, to me, it's improving the quality of life up, you know, through that period. I think that is an important piece, too, you know, is keeping that quality of life high as you, you know, and at the same time possibly preventing that, that big crisis. Um, but I, I agree with you, Dr. Brinkman, about the, you know, the early, you know, screening of, of dementia because, you know, I think when you're living with somebody, uh, you just know that it's small little changes every day. Um, you don't tend to notice things. You start compensating for the spouse or, or your parent. You you finish their sentences for them. You you know, and, and you don't really recognize the risk that that they're in or you're in, unless you have some objective way of determining. Many times, at Christmas, the family comes in hasn't seen mom or dad in a year and then they can tell a change in a year and notice a pretty you know moderate you know degree but if you're living with somebody or seeing them daily or weekly it's really hard to distinguish those risk factors changing and notice them without just naturally compensating for them well, you are right. And of course, what is needed is some type of measurement that uh, can be referred to a normative sample. In other words, measure memory abilities, measure executive functions. These are the two uh, most common areas of difficulty early on in most dementing disorders. And when that measurement is done, then make a comparison to how the average person does of that age and that educational background so that you have some objective data that can be utilized to make projections, develop expectations, determine when a workup would need to be done, etc. Yeah, it's not always suddenly mom or dad can't get dressed by themselves. You know, it. It, there's subtle changes along the way that can, you know, with dementia, I think, result in depression and anxiety, you know, talking about that quality of life, um, you know, and that break, that respite for that spouse. I mean, the subtle changes just decrease quality of life for both the person with the disease and, and those caring for them without it being so drastic that they, they're not able to, you know, bathe or dress themselves. That's kind of further along in the, in the, you know, in the progression. And as you know, it's not uncommon that the problems would become manifest, for example, at the point that a spouse dies or has a hospitalization or something like that. Well, Daryl, I am so grateful to you for spending your time with us this evening, and I know that uh, our listeners are grateful for you uh, to you as well for um, giving us the opportunity to learn from your experience and to see how a non-Medicare home health organization like Home Instead fits into the overall scheme of caring for dementia. I want to let our... Uh, I want to let our listeners know next week, and Daryl, I know you you know about um, the um, advocacy 
um, program that the Alzheimer's Association has. Next week's program will be dedicated specifically to that advocacy effort. The week after that, Dr. Sunny Singh will discuss research on Alzheimer's and the dementias. And after that, Dr. Nancy Lombardo in Boston will discuss brain function and nutritional issues. Thank you for being with us. Uh, during this program, and we look forward to being back with you next week. Thank you for listening to Neuro Matters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week. 